0: Throughout our lives, many of us have heard older generations harken back to a time when Christians were accepted, praised, and embraced by the culture. Everyone went to church on Sundays, people seemed to hold a Christian worldview and morality, and it was rare to find someone who didn't believe in heaven or hell. It was a world that was positive towards Christians. Still, some people my age may remember a more neutral world, where in the secular space, Christianity was seen as one of many belief systems that free thinkers could choose from. But today, Many are talking about the negative world, a shift where the views of the culture have become much more hostile against Christians. Do these views have validity, or are they an overblown exaggeration? What does this mean for the church, and how can we react to it in a way that's true with who we are as Christ followers? Today on The Good Lion Podcast, I sit down with Mike Doyle, founder and lead pastor of Movement Church in New York City, to chat about this complex issue. Later in the episode, I'll be joined by Brian Higgins to dive further into how we can respond to this concept. I really enjoyed this conversation, and this episode is the first of a three-part series on the concept of the negative world, so there will be more good conversations to come. We hope this helps you think and consider how to walk wisely as a Christ follower, and to consider the ways the world is changing, but also how our mission as Christians never changes. You're listening to The Good Line Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. This is Aaron Salvato, and today I'm
1: joined by my friend Mike Doyle. How's it going, Mike? So good to be here, Aaron. I'm a I'm a big fan of you and the podcast, so it's just a real joy to be here with oh, you. today. Oh no way! You you've listened to the show? But yeah, I've, I've listened to some episodes, and and even just even just you, Aaron, following your ministry over the, you know over the mm. years back all the way when you were youth pastor in Vista, and first time I met you was at the Youth Workers Conference oh, in Yeah, Right. I remember that. Yeah. So I've been I've been kind of following your journey from a distance, and uh
0: <laughs> yeah my, I'm a big fan of it. My wife and I came up and prayed with you, I think, when we were trying to figure out the whole whether or not we were moving to Ireland thing, so that was what, we both remember that that kindness uh, that you showed us that night that was really sweet, man and thanks for the words I appreciate that and i I've been a fan of you as well, man, and just watching how you pastor and how you lead, and I just have like a very Strong appreciation for guys who are theological conservatives but who pastor in very progressive spaces, most of my heroes are pastors in Portland or people who have pastored in portland and I feel the same way about guys in new york that's that's got to be a tough a tough environment right
1: absolutely yeah it's uh for me it's fun, you know what I mean because it's a challenge and it's yeah. it's an intellectual challenge spiritual challenge and and it's fun too like I was thinking I um I study a lot in Waynesburg, and I go to the Blue Bottle like on like North 4th in Waynesburg, and I kind of like that. I almost like to be in that environment, even as I'm crafting my sermons, because I'm trying to think about how can I connect the gospel mm. with, with young, progressive New Yorkers, and how can I show yeah. them uh, how Jesus connects with their world? I love that.
0: For those of you guys who don't know, Mike is the founding pastor at Movement Church in New York City, and he's also been... A long-time member collaborator within the Calvary Chapel spaces. You, you, did you come out of a Calvary?
1: Yeah, I, I, I got saved at a Calvary Chapel in Northwest Florida when I was 18, and then I went off to Calvary Chapel Bible College. I was up at Twin Peaks and down at Marietta, mm. and then had always wanted to, you know, plant in a Calvary Chapel. And but I went to Multnomah in Portland, and after I graduated from Calvary Chapel Bible College, I went to Multnomah in Portland, and that's actually I be, Tim Mackey and I were there at the same time. We were really good friends and yeah, fantastic. Yeah, college together. And then I was a youth pastor and then a youth evangelist. And then in my mid thirties, I moved to New York and planted movement. That's awesome, man.
0: That's really cool to hear. I'm so excited for you to be here on the show today. I'll I'll just kind of set up what we're going to be talking about. What we're going to be talking about today is a long complex, winding, complicated road. And it all started for me with Christian Twitter, which I was telling you earlier before the show. I try to stay off of Christian Twitter because I feel like everybody's so snarky and angry and debatey on Christian Twitter. But occasionally I I peek in and see what people are talking about. And every week it's always something that everyone's debating about. But uh, I popped in a while ago. And the thing that people were talking about was they were talking about how the culture has changed and how things are different and how Christians now in the current cultural moment need to adapt and change they were looking at Tim Keller and some of the things he was saying lately and they were like yeah Tim Keller's not doing it for me anymore like his approach isn't working for me anymore and so there's been there's been this big conversation around all of these things and like i said it's a long winding road and a lot of people I've seen on Twitter kind of have more of that reactionary thing where they're, they seem very angry and frustrated, honestly, with the way they communicate, It comes off as very combative. I saw you talking about some of these similar concepts on your Instagram and I was like, okay, Mike is somebody I can actually talk to about this because Mike is balanced and and Mike, he knows what's up. He's in New York. So I just, I was like, let's, let's get into this. So here we are. We're going to talk about it. Okay, so Mike, the first thing that I'd like you to do in this conversation for us is can you introduce us to this concept of the three worlds in evangelicalism? And this is a concept I think that came from a guy named Aaron Wren, and I don't know if he was a pastor. I I know that he's a writer and a consultant, and he's sort of like a Christian cultural analyst. So he wrote a piece recently, and it got everyone very fired up. And it started a lot of conversations so would you be willing to kind of break down these concepts for us
1: absolutely i feel like aaron's analysis of our culture and what's happened over the last 25 30 years i think it was actually spot on mm. and again i i minister on 24th street in midtown manhattan in new york city i have a young church of millennials and gen z we have a tremendous amount of gen z that are coming now which is actually super encouraging mm. to me and so i i see this on a daily basis i mean this is the world i live in so I think Aaron's analysis was perfect. So Aaron says, like, he has three worlds that the church has been ministering in over the last 30 years. He says, first of all, he had positive world. And that was the world all the way up until 1994. Mm. And in positive world, Christianity was viewed positively by society and Christian and Christian morality was normative, and actually, that's the world I grew up mm, in. Yeah, you know, I was thinking today we'll talk about it in just a moment, but about the Obergefell decision in in 2015 when the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage. Mm. The Christianity that I grew up in in the 70s and the 80s, the idea that gay marriage would ever be legalized was like inconceivable. Mm. And I grew up going to church. Everybody grew up going to church. I'm in Gen X, so mm. I caught the tail end of like Christendom. I caught the tail end of positive of positive world where Christianity right. was still. A part of our culture part of our world everybody went to church then he says positive world came to an end in 1994 and then you had neutral world from 1994 to 2014. so that, that's what i would have grown up in as a millennial exactly I mean, that's exactly the world you grew up in and in a neutral world christianity was seen as socially neutral it didn't have the dominant status in society any longer it wasn't like everybody went to church the Christian moral worldview wasn't the dominant one anymore, but Christianity wasn't seen in a hostile mm. way. Christianity was still kind of seen favorably and the church was still seen favorably. Like your generation, you know, I was a, I was a youth pastor, you know, when you were a teenager and you had like um, tooth and nail records. <laughs> and yeah, Classic. You know, yeah, you yeah, had big Christian festivals yep. and kids went to youth group yep. and there was a lot of like crossover between secular culture and Christian culture. Sure. And it was a fun time to do ministry. It was It was a neat world you But Aaron says that we entered into negative world in 2014. And in negative world, I'm just going to read what he says about it. He says, in this world, being a Christian is now a social negative, especially in high status positions. Christianity in many ways is seen as undermining the social good. Christian morality is expressly repudiated. Mm. And I think Aaron is absolutely right. Mm. I think we we live in a world now, in in, in American culture, where the culture is not neutral any longer. The culture is actually very hostile to the Christian faith i and then when you and I were talking about it on Instagram as we direct message, I will never forget, it, I think it was June 26, 2015. It was a Friday, and I was, I was pastoring in New York City. I had a, like a young millennial church. We were meeting at the Union Square Ballroom at Union Square, and the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage on that Friday. And I think the reason why they did it on that Friday was because that was like gay pride weekend. And that Sunday, every year in New York City, there's a huge gay pride parade that goes down Broadway. And after gay marriage was legalized, it was like the whole city was the Empire State Building, had rainbow colors on it. There was rainbow flags and all the telephone poles. Bank of America had a rainbow flag. Whole Foods had a rainbow flag. Everything had a rainbow flag. And I just remember being in my car with two of the leaders from my church. And it was like I, it was like I went to bed in one America on that Thursday and I woke up in a completely different America on that Friday. Hmm. And and it was I think this the symbolism of that was perfectly personified in the Obergefell decision when the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage and and I think once and for all that was the kind of official rejection or repudiation of of the Christian of the dominant Christian worldview of the United States and I woke up in a new America mm. and that new and I could feel it. And I could feel, I could feel the, the, actually the atmosphere of the city shift to where you just felt this host, you felt this hostility. So I would actually, I'd say Negative World began in 2015. That, that would be the only way I'd disagree with Aaron. I mean, is he says, it began in two, 2014. I think it began in 2015.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe it was starting to take formation, you know, 2014, and then you, you have this culmination. I'd like to take a minute to point something out. And I think it's important to mention because I send this podcast occasionally to my non-Christian friends. And if you're listening, maybe you're not a Christian. Most of the audience of the show is, But if you're not a Christian, you might be hearing what Mike is saying, and you might be thinking, I don't understand. Why would civil rights being given to more people help create this negative world for Christians? And here's the thing. So often, honestly, I think we Christians act like our morality should make obvious sense to everyone but when I look at scripture, it actually tells us that our beliefs will seem like foolishness to those who don't believe. So I'd like to take a minute to explain where we're coming from to help bring a certain level of understanding. So what I would say is that Christians are playing the game of life with a different set of rules than everyone else. We believe in a God, a God who loves humans and created humans primarily to be in a relationship with him and with others. And those of us who believe in this God believe that he knows what's best and right for humans. He has this greater knowledge than us, sort of like the parent trying to prevent a one-year-old from jumping into the fireplace. The one-year-old just doesn't get it. The fire looks awesome and fun, but the parent has this higher knowledge and the prevention comes from a place of love, not from a place of just wanting to be a killjoy. We Christians also believe in this concept of something called sin, which is a complex theological concept, but in essence, it's when humans try to define what is good and evil for themselves, and they end up jumping into that fire pit and getting burned many misunderstand sin as just sort of a matter of a list of rules that we're told to keep and we break but there's actually something much deeper at play we christians believe that there's this ancient destructive force that actually harms us humans when we sin and when we turn from god and when we do these things it's harmful to both our bodies and our souls so what does this have to do with sexuality well when god created sex and sexuality He designed it to only be something expressed through a marriage between a man and a woman. So, any sexual expression or activity outside of that would fall into that harmful, destructive sin territory. Whether that's something like homosexuality or things like adultery or straight folk sleeping around outside of marriage, these are all things that we Christians would believe cause harm to humans because of the destructive power of sin. We believe sin leads to eternal death, separation from God. But we also believe that God loved us all so much that no matter what our sin was, he himself was willing to die for us in our place and absorb our sin and the consequences of our sin. And then we believe that he defeated death, rose from the dead and created this pathway for all of us to be free from sin and death. We Christians don't simply want people to embrace our morality. We want them to embrace this God, Jesus, who both created the moral order, but also created the way of salvation from the consequences of rejecting that moral order, which every human has done at some point. Basically, our beliefs come from a place not of judgment, but of love and a desire to see humans saved from hell. Now, most people know Christianity held a lot of influence on many of the early aspects of the formation of this country. And because of this, both the law and the social attitude towards homosexuality partially lined up with the biblical viewpoint. And so regarding homosexuality, it paralleled many of our laws reflecting God's law whether you are a Christian or not. Things like the Bible saying stealing is a part of this sinful territory. In the same way, sexuality was given the same treatment. What's interesting is that it wasn't across the board. Like, according to God's law, adultery would be wrong and sinful. But in our country, adultery was not illegal. So there's some inconsistency there. But in regards to homosexuality, it was seen as too far down the line of rejecting God's moral order according to those who were making the laws at the time. So that was the state of things for a long time. When gay marriage is suddenly legalized, we see this radical cultural shift. Both the law and the social attitude changes. And for people who are not Christians, this is seen as this very positive thing. Sort of this overthrowing of what they would consider an oppressive religion imposing its morals on a secular people. And so it's seen as positive. And if I put myself in the shoes of a non-Christian, I can kind of see why. It would be extremely challenging for me if there were laws preventing me from being married to my wife, Brooklyn. According to my beliefs, there's nothing morally wrong with me being married to my wife, Brooklyn. So the law would just be frustrating. If the law were to change, I would probably celebrate that. So for someone who doesn't believe the things that we Christians do about morality, I can see why this legalization would be seen as positive. So then why for Christians does this help usher in this negative world? Well, remember, the point of the negative world is not Christians having a negative attitude, but more the secular culture looking at Christianity and holding it in a negative light. What Mike is communicating is for him as a Christian leader in New York, with this legalization, he's seeing this big way in which the culture is moving away from what we Christians believe to be true. Christian morals, which we believe to be a positive thing, Are holding way less influence on the culture and there's this perception shift where the culture goes hey yeah this is this is right this is good it's good that this is legal why are you Christians against this why aren't you Christians supporting this why aren't you thrilled like we are are you guys bigots are you guys hateful what is it in you Christians that makes you in opposition to this decision. And so then there is this disconnect between Christians and the culture that then breeds this contempt within the culture because they're not on the same page with Christians and they just don't understand where they're coming from and why they would think and act the way they do in this scenario. And personally, I think it is unfortunate and a grave mistake that so many Christians throughout history have fallen into this pattern of looking at people who are non-Christians and saying, I can't believe that they would do something that we think is sinful. In one of our books of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul is literally talking about sexual sin. And in chapter five, verse nine, Paul actually writes to the Corinthians. He says, hey guys, I wrote to you in my last letter don't associate with sexually immoral people but i didn't mean the people of the world the non-christians who are sexually immoral if that was the case you'd have to leave the world because everyone you run into is going to be sexually immoral in some way he says no when i wrote that i was talking about people who call themselves christians don't associate with people who call themselves Christians and they forsake the moral order that God has given us. But for non-Christians, he says in verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Leave that to God. God will judge those outside the church. For us as Christians." We shouldn't be surprised when non-Christians are doing things that don't line up with our morality. The goal isn't to judge them, it's to help show them and introduce them to the God who loves them. And then through that transformational power of the Holy Spirit, we'll see people walk away from their sin and into the freedom that they find in Christ. So all this to say, if you're a non-Christian, you may not agree with anything I just said, and it might've sounded extremely bizarre, but I just wanted to say it because I think it's important to define where we're coming from and what ground we're standing on when we make these arguments.
1: And I think it's like, um, you know, Christians, I mean, Americans are very tolerant and, you know, You know, nobody wants to limit anybody's rights or take, or take a right away from anybody, but it's, it's, it's like, it's when things become like weaponized, you know, it's like, you, you you don't have, you don't have, you, you you don't have a legitimately neutral space any longer. You don't have like, like a legitimately neutral secular space. I mean, I could almost be up for that. I could be like, okay, we have a neutral secular space, but now what's happened is, and then part of the argument is like, maybe we had that. Maybe we had that from 1994 to 2014, you had a legitimately kind of neutral public square and then. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't taking sides. It wasn't, you know, it was just everybody. It was a marketplace of ideas and Christianity. We, we had a voice and everybody had a voice and we, we could have conversations, we could have discussions, we could debate things. But then there was a shift where it was like the culture I feel like turned against Christianity yeah. and and i think that it it wasn't any it wasn't any longer about having like a legitimate disagreement or a little legitimate you know difference of opinion about sexuality or marriage or anything like that it was that it was it became actually hostile against the church and against christians right. and the the culture just kind of turned on us yeah
0: know? and it's it's interesting and, because there's sort of a reversal that you see because for my friends who are lgbt They would say that before that shift, right, like in 2015, they felt like the culture was more hostile towards them. They felt like the culture, because of the Christian influence, I'm just I'm trying to get inside their head and in their shoes and see it from their perspective. They a lot like, you know, we've heard the horror stories of gay kids who grew up in Christian youth group and just felt like horribly pushed out and judged and didn't really feel like the church was doing a good job of loving them and, you know, holding a belief but doing it with truth and love so that there's this feeling of like the hostility. And then all of a sudden in 2015 with that decision, the culture shifts and is very affirming. And then for the Christian, it's kind of like that was the straw that broke the camel's back for the culture where all of a sudden the culture is looking at the Christians and going, what's wrong with you guys that you don't, that you're not on board with this. And for us, you know, there's kind of different divisions of Christians where you have some that would lean more towards like truth, but in grace and to be like, Hey, we don't hate anybody but we do have these standards that are like ancient and they're they're a part of our core belief and so you know just as we're trying to hold straight people you know to a standard of like hey you don't have sex outside of marriage we're also trying to hold everyone else you know that has a different sexuality to a standard of hey god says that sexuality should only be practiced in a in a in a marriage between a man and a woman so it's a hard position to take in the culture right now but we believe it's it's right but there there's this hostility that i think a lot of people have and and i can understand where it comes from because from their perspective it just feels like we're sort of this ancient backwater traditional sect that is judging everybody else for just trying to live their life you know it's a challenge like it's probably the most challenging time i've ever experienced being a christian i think
1: well the other thing is there's like there's you know there's like a lack of fairness in the sense of like you know, it's not just even that we can have a difference of opinion any longer. Now, if you don't have the appropriate opinion, you can be canceled yeah. or you can be censored or your voice is, is kind of crushed where True. it's like it's actually it's even a bigger issue where it's, you know, it's it's a it's an attack on classical liberalism and classical liberalism. You have. You have freedom of thought, diversity of opinion, and but now it, it kind of went from okay, it was a Christian culture, then it was a neutral culture, and then and then there was kind of a, a more of an embracing of of a, of a different worldview. But now that worldview has become very weaponized against the people that disagree yeah, with it fully. I fully agree with that. And, you know, and you can like, you know, you can, you can, you can lose your, you can lose your job in an academic institution. You can be throttled back on social media. You can, you can lose your job. You can, and that's the irony of it is that, you know, we're, you know, Christians have now become, you know, a persecuted, you know, minority. And I think, yeah, so, you know, that, that's. That, that's the shift that I, that I think has happened is like it, it was it was it was a pretty quick transition to where now and then you, I was reading it something the other day it was a very fascinating phrase they called it authoritarian utopianism hmm. and I thought that's a, where it's like a it's a kind of forced utopianism that's being kind of forced on the culture maybe through social media through YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and things like that where there's there, there, there's a worldview now that is being almost forced upon people and if you have a divergent opinion yes. or if you disagree you get cancelled so even if it's like so say with like you know our our lgbtq friends and brothers or whatever it's like there's not even like there's 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 not even room to there's not like space to disagree anymore there's not space to have a diversity of opinion there's not space to have a diversity of thought which is what we want yeah it's very
0: interesting um, around the topic of sexuality i have friends that are gay christians but they're they're non-affirming in their theology. And so they are same-sex attracted, but they actually are committed to like a life of celibacy. Or I know one who's, you know, she uh, she's a lesbian, but she, she prayed and God blessed her and she actually ended up being attracted to a guy. And now they're married and they have kids, but she's still attracted to other women. And so these are like Christians who are same-sex attracted and the culture is mine, they're gay, but like they have said to me that they've talked to their friends who are non-Christians and they they say to their friends who are non-Christians, like, you are so rigid in your ideas of this sexuality thing that you make me feel like I shouldn't exist. Like that somebody who is same-sex attracted, but then like not, they're not going to act on those impulses, but they're going to follow this religious belief, like, you act like you're so open-minded, but you actually make me feel like I'm a bad person for having these beliefs, you know? Yes. It's kind of like in, in the way that many LGBTQ people grew up feeling like Christians were looking at them like you shouldn't exist. It's like now this flip side thing, you know, where a, a, an LGBTQ person who's trying to follow Jesus is looked at as like this this weird
1: th- an anomaly that shouldn't exist. Yeah, well, you know, they, there's a the phrase, you know, the oppressed become the oppressors. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, don't, I don't know if we should put that on the podcast, but like I think, you know, they—it's it's, no, there's truth to you it. You know, that, yeah, they—they, they, they, you know, you know that's that. Uh, you know, they—they they were discriminated against, and now they're being extremely discriminatory towards other yeah. people. You know. Right. They were, you know, that they're 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 kind of in a position of cultural dominance now, and the irony of it is that they're they're more, you know, they're 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 more intolerant of people who disagree with them than than I felt like the culture was towards them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, is like I was listening to uh oh he's a he's a he's an evangelist in the UK. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he was saying that the criticisms of christianity it was like it was christianity created a value system to where the christian where actually christianity is being judged by the value system that it actually created mm, yeah <laughs> so it's like we believe in civil rights because we believe that every human being is made in the image of god yeah. and now it's actually like it's christianity's own values are being used against the christian faith mm. whereas you know, we, we, we created the Christianity that we Christianity created the world in which you have this tremendous amount of Liberty. You know, I, I, I can, you know, it's like, like I live in New York city. I'm, I'm am i I'm a born again, evangelical Christian. Right. Like I am, I'm, a am a vulnerable minority, you know, right. and I want to worship Jesus. And I want the freedom to be able to worship Jesus. So in a sense, I don't want to take anybody else's freedom away, yeah. but it's a two way street. Yeah. You know what I mean? If we're going to, if we're going to extend freedoms to people, if we're going to extend liberties to people, if we're going to take civil rights to people. Well, then you have to extend it to everybody. You know, sure. and we can't say that if you have a divergent opinion or a contrary opinion, that then you get canceled or you get censored or you could lose your job. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the negative world thing. Is it went from being like uh, now, it, now it's like it's it's actively hostile against you know Christians or or even even conservative Jewish people. Anybody who holds a kind of conservative Judeo-Christian worldview, like there's laws that are being passed. We're we're being canceled. We're being censored. We're being throttled back on social media. It's it's, not, it's like we're, we're, we're being, there's a hostility now towards right. that viewpoint.
0: And it's interesting, you know, I grew up in, like we said, that neutral world, according to this framework, if we're going to go by it. And that neutral world that I remember in the early 90s to, you know, mid 2000s in my time, both as a youth and then as an early youth pastor, I remember kind of the way that we talked about secular people was, yeah, the way that they think is they're just like, yeah, man, everybody's got their own truth. You've got your ideas. I've got mine. And and so... The The fight was always against postmodernism and against this idea that there is no absolute truth. And so it was trying to convince secular people that, no, there is actually absolute truth. And I'm here to let's 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 learn it. Let's walk through it. Let's discover that Jesus and scripture actually points us to that absolute truth. Now, instead of that idea of like, yeah, man, everyone's got their own truth. What I'm seeing is a almost like religious fundamentalist, but from the other secular side And I've seen this from even some of my own former students that were in my youth group that have, unfortunately, I would say, bought into um, that ideology where it's like, unless you think... This about sexuality, you are a bad person unless you are anti racist in the way that these authors say you should be, and like you can't have it there can't be any nuance to it, there can't be any diversion of thought like you have to stick to the script that is given from you know the academics and whoever it's like you are a bad person, you are wrong, you are heading towards the path of destruction almost the way we as Christians talk about it, you know, like you are wrong, you're in sin, you're heading towards destruction. it's that I mean. I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but that's that's what I've seen just and it's really been in social media. It's the way that people talk on social media, the the hostility I've seen over the past couple of years. And I just I want to say this up front. I have long been somebody who has pushed against what I would call the Christian persecution complex that says like, oh, we're under attack because Starbucks didn't say Merry Christmas on their cups and they said Happy Holidays. I I think that's stupid. But on the flip side, I have totally seen hostility towards Christians, even from friends, like personal friends of mine who are like, Aaron, I love you, but I just don't understand how you could be a Christian. I've heard things like Christians are stupid, anti-science, homophobic, transphobic, racist, hateful believers in fairy tales. They want to control women, manipulate and abuse people. They're political extremists and even they're they are dangerous. And I, And I would just say quickly that like, yeah, some people who call themselves Christians are some of those things. But at this moment of deconstruction, it has many people weaving tons of examples of Christians acting in those ways and creating an image of Christianity in the court of public opinion. That's sort of like the sum of all of those things and saying this is how all Christians are. And it makes me think of the way that I grew up hearing of cults. The way that we talked about in the Christian church, it was like cults, you know, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, all these things. It's like they're they're dangerous, they're harmful, they're extreme. And I think that we're at a place where so many in the culture see Christianity as a dangerous religious cult. And you you have that reverse testimony thing, where in you know we grew up hearing all these testimonies, of people coming to Christianity. Nowadays, everybody has their deconversion story, and it's how I got out of the cult of Christianity. We're seeing tons of that conversation in the secular space. I, I don't, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think what's happening is like it's it's a it's a kind of a secular uh, Phariseeism, mm-hmm. and what, what's interesting about it is like, look, you know, the message of the gospel is that Jesus transforms us from the inside out by changing our mm-hmm. hearts. And so, if you think of some of the objectives, right, of say, like, of woke ideology or critical race theory or whatever, where, where we don't, you know, where we 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 don't want to be racist and and we want to be inclusive and we want people to thrive, yeah. and but the thing is, is like, you can't. It's it, it's the lie of Phariseeism where you can't transform people from the outside in. You have to transform people from the inside yeah. out. And so the irony of it is like is. It's 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 taken on a religious character where and it's and it's ironically it's a form of like secular Phariseeism Hmm. and one of the ironies too is if you think of like a lot of it began in like the Ivy League schools which a lot of them were founded by Puritans and it's a kind of secular Puritanism. Hmm. It's that same period and instinct, but now it's advocating like this kind of, you know, radical secular worldview. And the other thing too is like, ultimately you can't have a sec, you can't have a secular neutral public space. Like neutral world was doomed to begin with because human beings are fundamentally religious. And if they're not religious about Christianity or about Judaism, then then they're gonna be religious about other things. (laughs) And if you think of like wokeism, like like that, that's a huge issue. Right. Yeah. And it's very easy for people to just label it. There's aspects can you, of it. Can that you define, that, we could can learn you define
0: from. that wokeism? Because woke is a word that gets thrown around a ton. Like I've heard woke get thrown around where it's like, if you're somebody who's really into, you know, Abraham X. Kendi and white fragility and, and that sort of thing. And then like, I've also heard people like get accused of being woke if, like, they just are like, oh, I didn't know about the Tulsa race riots and, and some of the things in Oklahoma where I live that happened that were racist in the past, and now I'm learning about those things, and it's, like, broadening up my perspective, and people are like, oh, you're woke, you know? So, like, what is what is wokeism?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, basically what it is is it's, it's the understanding that... America is actually like, like a deeply racist society, that, that, that it's systemically racist and that racism and slavery fundamentally kind of altered the whole structure of American society and that all of American society from top to bottom is infused with racism. But what happens is it's like, you, you know, it's so woven into the fabric of our culture that you become blind to mm-hmm. it. And what ends up happening, the idea of woke is that you wake up one day and your eyes are open, and you can see the racism everywhere. And you can see how much our society has been shaped by racism and dominated by racism. And then that's actually at the root of maybe why, say, like African-Americans haven't been able to thrive in America as much as, you know, as they should have been able to is because there's all this structural racism that's working against right. them. And then not only is it structurally racist, but it's structurally misogynistic that the culture was designed in such a way what you know, whether consciously or subconsciously, where it limited women couldn't thrive. It was it was kind of Rigged against women, it was rigged against African Americans, it was rigged against people of color. It was created so that white people could could thrive at the expense of other people, and that the whole culture from top to bottom, and that's the 1619 project is what the 1619 project was saying that actually the true founding date of the United States wasn't 1776 or even 1620 at Plymouth Rock when the Puritans showed up. It was actually 1619 when the first slave arrived in America, America. I think it was in Jamestown that from the very beginning that the the thing that shaped america that infused america like the air that we breathe was racism from the very beginning and wokeism is 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 you wake up and your eyes are opened to see the racism that infuses everything right. and mm-hmm. then and now it's now it's been expanded to you know now it's been expanded to not only so for, originally it was just kind of how racism shaped America, but then how white male dominant shaped America, how heteronormativity shaped yes, America. Right. And so there was kind there's of like, there's a slope there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually, it's everything. It's right. like, it's, there's, there's, there's a kind of, you know, that there was, so you, if you were a sexual minority, then America was kind of st- structurally was, was structured against you. If you were a racial minority, if you were, if you were a woman and that the whole society has been shaped and dominated by, you know, white heterosexual right. males. right? There, there's
0: this underlying framework underneath all of that, that you know and it's it's a buzzword but there's truth to it there's a marxist framework that basically divides everybody into categories of oppressor and oppressed that that's sort of at the root of it and like the the distinction i would make is just that i don't think that it is woke to Like And when I say woke, I mean in the very progressive way that actual progressives use that term proudly. I don't think it is woke to recognize the the evils of the past and the evils of racism and some of the ways that those things affected our country and the foundations of it. There's a lot of that. There's much of that. I think as a Christian, morally was wrong. And I don't think that it should be considered woke to say that. I think we should be able to say that. But when you take it so far that it becomes an entire worldview and an entire system of how you view everything. I literally have a friend where I can talk to him about any problem in the world and it will always come back to white supremacy because that's the framework that he's adopted. It's like that is the every problem in the world can come back in his mind and, 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 and become framed by that lens. But it's, it's hard. you know. It's, I don't want to spend too much time on it. I just want to say when we use that word, there's different people using it different ways and thinking of it different ways, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and you're exactly right. It's it's you know, it, there's all these things that people throw around and and they and they and sometimes they're just trying to be bomb throwers sure. and they're trying to be incendiary. <laughs> and so when people talk about cultural marxism. Because here's the thing is you have, you know, the radical right tries to cancel the the radical left, yes. and the radical left tries to cancel the radical Always. right. And so the, and so the radical left will use you know they they have their uh, defeater terms that they'll use against the radical right, and the radical right has their defeater terms they'll use against their their what are what they perceive as the cultural left. And so sometimes yes. when they talk about cultural Marxism, it's a way to try to cancel somebody, try to cancel somebody in the Christian world, and say, oh, they're Marxists, <sighs> they're a cultural Marxist. It's exhausting. But there is such things.
0: <laughs> I know. It's this never-ending but, but battle, man. It's uh, no,
1: no, I know, know. It, I know. Yeah. And, and when is it? See, the, the problem with the problem with Twitter is is the worst forum. <laughs> to have important conversations yeah, because these are conversations that are extremely nuanced and extremely intricate. I mean, these these ideas were born in, you know, graduate courses in Ivy League universities and you can't just boil them down to 140 characters or whatever Twitter lets you have now, like 160 characters, whatever. (laughs) It cannot be boiled down to 160 characters. These are long, in-depth conversations. And the other part of it is like, even when it comes to wokeism, it's like, is, you know... I, you know, I, I remember after, after George Floyd happened, you know, we, we, I had these two really wonderful African-American leaders in my church and we took a Sunday and we dedicated the whole Sunday to them. And I just gave the microphone to them and I let them tell us what their experience of being an African-American in America is like. So the,
0: and it would, the and, thing with that is there are reactionaries. I love that you did that. There's reactionaries though, that would look at that and say, oh, Mike, that was so woke. Why'd you do that? You know?
1: No, no, no. Well, and it's like, here's the thing. That's is what like, I hate about this conversation I'm, is everybody that. I'm not going to tell them that that their lived experience isn't real, hmm. you know? And so I want to hear from them their experience. What's it like? And they're wonderful people. They love Jesus Christ. They're some of my best leaders. I adore them. I absolutely trust yeah. them. And to hear about their experience being an African-American person in the United States and their experience interacting with the police and all those things, it would break your yeah. heart. And so, and that's the tricky thing about it is like, if you just say, if you use these kind of, if you just label people or say, oh, wokeism and that's all woke. It's like, yeah, but you know what? It's not completely wrong. It's not entirely wrong. You know, they're, they're making, there's some justifiable points they're making. America, the original sin of America was slavery and racism has been a very deep part of America. Now, does it mean we, we burn the whole thing down? Does it mean we destroy the whole no. thing and, and, we, <laughs> and we start from scratch? Absolutely yeah. not. I That's think not it's like, no, it's not healthy at yeah. all. And I, and I don't think, and let's, where's the alternative? Where where, where has, where has, you know, all right, we had the American system. Well, sh- show me a better right. system. You know, and, and, and even as Christians, as Protestants, which is probably most of your audience, as Protestants, we believe in reformation. We believe in renewal. Right and i believe in con- i believe in continual reformation and you can even have social cultural political reformation where america is a work in progress right. hmm. and can we become a better society can we can we do better about race can we be more inclusive yeah. can we can we try to extend rights to more people absolutely yeah. But I don't think we have to write off the entire American project and we don't have to burn the whole thing down. And ultimately, as a Christian, it's like, and we we could talk about this more in just a moment, is like, ultimately, my allegiance is to Jesus Christ and and to the kingdom of God. You know, my political party is the kingdom of God. My leader is Jesus. And so you know, Christians have to be very careful about that, about mixing their patriotism with their yes, faith. Yes. You know, it's like, I'm glad to be an American. I feel incredibly privileged to be an American. My family's all FBI agents and fighter pilots and school nice. teachers. And <laughs> I, I'm the descendant of Irish immigrants. And this country blessed us beyond anything we'd ever experienced in history. Right. And I love the United States of America, but, you know, it's not, it's, it's part of part of this world, right. you know, and so... You know, my my allegiance is to the kingdom of God and to Jesus. And I want to be a good citizen. I I don't think the gospel, I think the gospel makes us better citizens. I think that was part of the, I think that was Justin Martyr's apologetic, you know, when, when he was talking to, you know, he's making his appeal to the Romans. He, he, says, he says, he says, Christianity doesn't make Romans worse citizens. It makes them better yes. citizens. And so I think the more loyal we are to Jesus, the more faithful we are to Jesus, the more invested we are in the kingdom of God, it'll make us good citizens. And I don't think, so I don't, th- you know, it, it's tricky. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's tricky.
0: Game over. Yes, I agree with Mike. It is tricky. And that's why we're going to take our time with this conversation and actually split it into three parts. We want to give you time to wrestle and think through the concepts we're bringing to light. So tune in next episode as Mike continues to flesh out this concept and even offers us his idea on a solution for how Christians can adapt to face the problems of the negative world. Now I'm gonna sit down with my beloved co-host Brian Higgins as we discuss a recap of what we just learned from Mike and how Christians can absorb this information without giving into the cycle of fear that is the American Christian persecution complex. Here's my conversation with Brian. Hey everybody, welcome once again to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato. And I'm Brian Higgins. And we are here to dive deeper Into the concept of the negative world and the ways that Christians can respond to living in the negative world. Obviously, this is a follow up conversation to the conversation that I had with Mike Doyle about this concept, which you weren't there for, Brian, but you and I have been chatting about this, and I think we've got some things that we'd like to add to the conversation.
2: I'm a big Mike Doyle fan, and I was very bummed that I was not able to be on that episode, but this is the next best thing. (laughs) <laughs> he said with a question. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I could have. I, I guess I could call him. That would probably be the next best thing.
0: Just have a conversation. Is, an off mic yeah, conversation this, with him about it. This is
2: the second next. This is the next next best thing.
0: There you go. I I loved the conversation I had with Mike. I I thought it was a concept that like to me this concept of the negative world. I've heard people talking about it, and when I saw that Mike was also talking about it, I was like, Mike is reasonable. He's balanced he's wise. I want to pick his brain. I don't want to just ignore concepts like this. I want to engage with them and think about them and think critically about them. So that's what we're trying to do. As we start out talking about this, Brian, the negative world, what's your perception of that concept?
2: So allow me to begin with, I had never heard of the idea of the negative world until a week ago. (laughs) I didn't know that people were talking about it. If you had just told me What do you think the negative world is? I'd be like, oh, the fact that we're all sad all the time. Like, that's where that's (laughs) where I would have gone first. But in hearing some of that conversation and in talking with you about that concept, and this can kind of serve as recap if you hadn't listened to that previous episode, the negative world, very broadly speaking, refers to the idea that in modern day culture, the church and Christianity are not viewed as a net positive. They're Mm. generally viewed in a negative light. There are negative associations tied to Christianity. There are accusations that Christians and perhaps even the beliefs of Christianity themselves are responsible for some of the negative things in the world. And so Christians should not operate thinking like Christians used to be able to think in the mid-1800s, let's say, where being a Christian was seen as a good thing that all good upstanding people in society should want to do. And a, this is a very Western way of thinking.
0: Yeah, it seems like you've got a good grasp on it. And that's a good recap for our audience. He, we were, we were discussing an article written by a guy named Aaron Wren, where he goes through these concepts of the three different worlds that Christianity has lived in you know, in in our lifetime, basically. And the first one, obviously, positive world. And that's 1950s Christianity where everybody goes to church and it's super positive. And then you've got the world we lived in that he calls the neutral world. That was uh, the early 90s to 2014, basically. And it's this idea of the culture is kind of in that postmodern place that we've talked about where it's like, hey, whatever's true for you is great. And whatever's true for me is great. You can be a Christian. I can be a Buddhist. Who cares? Let's all just be friends, you know? And that that does feel like when I, when I was a youth pastor and did street witnessing, I don't think I ever encountered anybody on the street who was like, "You're a Christian? You're a horrible person." It was very neutral the response. But I have seen negativity towards Christianity in the past couple of years in a way that I've never seen it before in my lifetime. Like would you, would you agree with that? Do you feel that way? Yeah, to some extent.
2: I feel like in general what I've seen over the last 5 years is if you are against something it has become easier to be much more outwardly hostile mm. towards that something that the idea of we'll agree to disagree has kind of gone away in every direction and so i think that we can apply this negative world concept in a lot of different directions mm. but sticking to the purposes of this conversation of does the world tends to view christianity negatively i would say that that is definitely on the rise
0: yeah and i mean i try to keep my ear to the ground of what's going on in the culture of young people as a former youth pastor or somebody currently working with young adults i try to keep my finger on the pulse if if you will and and what i'm seeing in a lot of young spaces these days especially on social media it's just this idea that if you're a Christian, you're basically a part of a backwater, cultish organization that is actually harmful for society. Like I've I've seen lots of posts and memes that basically assess, you know, if you're a Christian, you're a bad person and you're contributing to a lot of negative things going on in the world. And usually there's, there's political things that are tied in with that and assumptions that all Christians think a certain way or are a certain way. And yeah, I mean it, it can it can be frustrating. So in some ways it, it does make sense. I am seeing this. But here here's Brian, what concerns me a lot right now is I'm seeing a lot of people, especially on Christian Twitter, right, embracing this idea of the negative world. But there's something eating at me about it where my fear is that if we talk a lot about, oh, the culture is against Christians, the culture hates Christianity, we're going to fall into something that like, I know you and I have been fighting as youth pastors who are dealing with kids that grew up in the church, which is the, the American Christian persecution complex. And what I mean by that is this idea of kind of, Being in a state of Christianity where you're so focused on, oh, the culture hates us, woe is me, we're under attack, that you aren't focused on evangelism or gospel mission. And to me, like a prime example I can think of is I remember there was one year where everybody on social media was up in arms because there was this one very reactionary pastor that got on social media and was complaining about how they changed the Starbucks cups to remove Merry Christmas And instead it's just a happy holidays. And it was this idea of, you know, the culture is so evil and wicked because they took the Christ out of Christmas. And, and I just rolled my eyes and was like, what are we doing as Christians? Like, why are we fighting the culture so hard on stupid things like this when, when it just makes us look ridiculous in the eyes of the culture?
2: Yeah. And I, I think even from that, I can't count the number of times I've seen a bumper sticker that says, keep Christ in Christmas. (laughs) As if that is the the main fight that we need to be battling. That's something that I think about a lot. Because I think in modern day America, the term persecution maybe applies like 3% of the time we actually use the word. Hmm. I think generally speaking, if we could go back to Paul and Peter in the book of Acts. And if we could tell them, all right. Here's the opposition you're going to face. Someone is going to look down at you at work. Your neighbor is going to get awkward when you try to tell them about Jesus. And the Athenian Starbucks is going to say <laughs> happy holidays when we get to
0: Christmas time. Right. The, the organization they... that literally has a Greek god as their logo.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I think that if we gave them that option they would be really happy to take it. They'd be really happy to say, oh, so you're telling me it's going to be way, way easier? Cool. I'll take that. And so we need to, the The number of times I feel like I've seen the jump from Christians have been fed to lions in the Colosseum, and Christians have been hunted by, you know, different organizations that demand certain religions rule. And, Christians have needed to go underground and hide their Bibles and you can't say in Jesus name at work like those are just their worlds apart. And so we need to at the very least acknowledge that what what I don't want that to come across as is completely disregarding the very idea that Christians in America can be persecuted. I'm not Mm, I'm not trying to say that. Right. But most of what we call persecution is much more inconvenience than anything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Um, I feel like when you grow up in the church and you hear all these great stories about martyrs and people who are persecuted for their faith, there's almost this party that like wants to relate. And so you're looking for any opposition and you're calling it uh, persecution. In fact, I remember I took my middle school students on uh, an evangelistic outreach at one point. And we made this video, uh, this little five-minute evangelism video, where I had my youth group kids basically tell the story of the gospel. And we put it on DVDs, and we were passing it out to people as they were leaving their middle school. We were posted on the sidewalk, and we just were handing out DVDs to people. And, like, a few middle school kids took the DVDs and, like, literally broke them in half or, like, chucked them like a Frisbee. And I remember on the way home, my kids just felt so defeated, and they were like, we're being persecuted for our faith. And I was like, guys come on like there is a vast difference between being fed to the lions and having your dvd chucked <laughs> and every other religious group you know goes through the same thing i mean uh, you know i've had times where i've had uh different religions try to proselytize me as i'm walking through the mall and i hard you know nope sorry and just move on you know it, it's just it comes with the territory but on the other side of things like yeah christian persecution of christians in america can and and does happen like we're not overruling that like I think of uh, one example, I've, I've read stories, and this kind of ties into that negative world aspect of Christian college professors who've had activists in their student body who, when they find out you know, that their professor is a Christian and has a traditional historic Christian view of sex or sexuality, that they've literally tried to boycott that professor or protest and and you know, try to get them fired at their job. And I, I would absolutely label that as a form of persecution. I'm just saying that that is not the norm that the normal average American Christian goes through. And we need to be careful about adopting a mentality of believing that persecution is around every corner. And it's offensive to those around the world who are actually a part of the persecuted church that is being killed and martyred for their faith in countries where Christianity is an offense punishable by death.
2: And to me the big thing is are we looking for persecution around every corner? Because mm-hmm. I I think about I think I've told this story on the podcast before but growing up in church I had always heard that one day I would go to a big liberal university where God would be disregarded and I would have my God's not dead moment where a professor <laughs> would try to completely undo my faith as soon as They found out I was a Christian and And I went to get hit by a
0: car and get saved.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Shout out Kevin Sorbo. (laughs) But I remember my first day in my first English class at Rutgers. I went to community college first. so It was like a junior year kind of a thing, but either way. So I was like into college at that point. But my first class, the professor handed out copies of Genesis 1 and 2. And in my head, I got all hopped up. I was like, here it comes. Like, here's the persecution. Like, it's going to happen. Like, I was a little excited. I was like, I've been I had been told about it for so long. I I wanted to actually
0: taste some of it. Did you think it was going to be a dead poet society moment like that Robin Williams movie where he was going to tell the class, everyone stand on your desk and rip Genesis up or or something like that?
2: I thought it was going to be he handed it out and we read it. And then he asked, now, who in here believes this? (laughs) And if you raised your hand, he was just going to like shame you verbally break you down in front Mm. of the 75 people in the lecture hall. That's what I thought was coming. Right. And so I got really tense and we read through it. And then his first question was, "Okay, what do you notice about it? Hmm. And then people started poking at, well, it looks like there's two accounts. It looks like this and that and all these different. It looks like men are putting on a higher pedestal than women. Like people are bringing up all these different things. I'm just kind (laughs) of watching and letting it play out. And he said, to be fair and to put my view kind of out there, I do not believe this text was written by the God of the universe, which I was like, persecution. But (laughs) then he said, but I don't believe it was written by an idiot. Mm. So your job is to spend time with these two chapters and you're noticing these potential problems. You're noticing these different things. Keep making observations until you can synthesize some of these things. Mm. And the next time we went to class, we had a great conversation of how to make sense of Genesis one and two. And it was an incredible lesson, not only in how to observe a text to arrive at good meaning, but I actually left noticing more stuff and having the opportunity to share some of that stuff with a college class about how Genesis one and two might actually make sense. Mm. So I showed up just looking for, I am totally about to get persecuted. I need to defend Jesus. Right. Whereas simply by sitting back and waiting, he didn't immediately go to, and if you believe this, I want to murder you. Like He (laughs) had a totally different set of things in mind, and by being patient and by not jumping to, I need to fight back, I was better able to, I think, explain the Christian (laughs) worldview than I would have been if I just went to, you're attacking me, I need to attack back.
0: I really like that story. And I like how you're pointing out the reality that as much as sometimes in in the Christian bubble, especially if you're listening, if you're one of our our homeschooled friends (laughs) or uh, someone who went to a private Christian school like me, you can hear this idea that the world is just full of evil, atheistic people who hate Christianity and just every word is just they're just seething with this hatred towards the faith. I I think of the movie, God's not dead and how every single non-Christian character in that movie was the worst human ever, like just terrible, horrible, hateful people. And that's what happens when you have a movie made by Christians for Christians is it, it, portrays everybody outside of our bubble as the worst. And while I fully believe that people without Christ are dead in their sins and lost, and that they need to find the light. I think your story, Brian, is pointing out this reality that not every non-Christian is out to get us. Some are actually willing to engage with our ideas and have a conversation. And I think it's so important that we recognize that because while the Bible says the way is narrow and few find it, it's specifically that hope that a few will find it that motivates us in our methods of evangelism. We're looking for those few. And so we don't want to push away anyone. We want to go out into the world, not with this mentality of defensiveness and viewing non-Christians as our enemy, but with a mentality of rescue mission, asking the question, who are the few that Jesus is drawing to the narrow gate? Is there any way that he can use me to be a part of the process of them finding it? Man, what a fascinating start to this concept of the negative world. I know for me, as I try to process all this information, my big takeaways are this. There are many Christians who sense a shift in our culture right now. We're seeing more negativity towards Christianity in the public square. Christians are being looked down on for their views, especially regarding things like sexuality and gender, or their unwillingness to adopt postmodern frameworks. These observations, I think, totally have merit. I think Mike Doyle, as a pastor in New York, really lent a lot of credibility to the claim that this is happening. That's the world that he lives in. However, I would add this, just because some of the culture is shifting to a negative posture towards Christians, doesn't mean that we can let our guard down against the temptation to play the victim and forsake our mission to reach the lost in favor of retreating to the comforts of tribalism and defensiveness and complaining. We must resist the American Christian persecution complex because it turns our minds towards the doom and gloom of wallowing in every persecution, whether real or perceived. Instead, we must become aware of the culture's changes but never lose our mission to lead people away from sin and to Christ. In this episode, we introduce you to the concept of the negative world. And in the next episode, we're going to continue the conversation. Mike Doyle will be back to offer us his take on a solution for how to face the negative world. Brian and I will dive deeper into the controversy surrounding Tim Keller on this issue, specifically around the debate on whether or not winsomeness is a good strategy for Christians to employ in this moment. And Mike and I will discuss the problems of both sidesism, the disconnect many Gen Z Christians go through when they feel they're being forced into political boxes by their elders, and how those of us with theologically conservative positions can help bridge that gap. Thanks for listening to the Good Line podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. (laughs) i <laughs> you.